Hey, this is Bob in the Don't Die Podcast, brought to you by Ohana Fest down in Dana Point, and brought to you by Live Nation, bringing you concerts all over the world. It all begins with getting off drugs, people. Let's go out and live life. Get sober, get the right treatment for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Chuck. Stop it. These people need to stop it. <laughs> Who are we it's, talking about this week? Yeah, well, the, the people dying, so... So <laughs> I had a, a not a guy I knew very well. I heard killed himself a couple of, like the end of last week, and then uh, of course, like it. I'm obsessed with this suicide thing. Like it's forty six thousand people or fifty six thousand people. I sent you the stuff, Chuck. Is it fifty six or forty six thousand people in twenty twenty? It's on a different. It's on a different oh, screen. Okay. So I think it's forty six or fifty six thousand, give or take ten thousand, right? 106,000 drug overdose deaths. If you combine, I'm not good at math. I, 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 I didn't do algebra in high school. I was able to graduate without doing it, but I can add 146 and 106. 150,000 people died last year of suicides and drugs. It's 150,000 people. Now, just so you can get a comparison you hear all this shit about the vietnam war oh my god the vietnam war tore our nation apart the vietnam war the vietnam war the vietnam war Fifty thousand american casualties in the entire vietnam war so three times as many as the vietnam war every year from drugs and suicide yet do you hear anything about it not a peep not a fucking peep except for here on the don't die podcast Huh. <laughs> if 150 <laughs> if 150,000 people were dying of jack in the box tacos you'd hear about it every fucking day if two people died of jack in the box tacos you'd hear yeah, so what what is that thing that they call it it's just so scummy drug addicts dying it doesn't you know i don't know if i used to think it's that but now i think it's like that's what they think, don't though. but people feel ashamed like uh, like I know very close relatives of mine feel ashamed if their son dies of drugs. They don't like to talk about it. Right. My sister's son, my nephew, Brian died of drugs. Nobody really talks about it. They don't, it, it's like, you know, they, uh, you know, this term passed, they passed Chuck. Do you know this? Right. They, right. Passed. they passed. They passed. Oh, he on. passed. They passed. They don't even say passed on anymore. They say, oh, he's passed. Passed what? <laughs> mm -hmm. probably like 50 percent of just normal americans think that well you know they brought it on themselves they were using drugs you know i am a i'm a obsessed with the cdc website long before the covid stuff and if you look at that thing i sent you chuck fifty-six thousand people die from cirrhosis of the liver do you believe that has anything to do with alcoholism, Chuck? I'm just guessing. Is it is it typical to get cirrhosis of the liver, or does it take? Hey, don't start it on that. You know I have cirrhosis <laughs> of the liver. <laughs> but but so now you're talking about two hundred thousand people a year. Mm -hmm. If you take cirrhosis, drug overdose, and suicide, that's my people. That's my wheel well. That's me. That's you, Mike. That's Chuck. 200,000 people a year, you would think you would hear about this. You just don't. Hmm. Well, yeah, because it's, it's, I don't know. Uh, it's not newsworthy, Bob. It's not newsworthy. Anyways, it's, it's somebody's, you know, Tomato to Plenty was an idol of my, you know, idolized. I got to hang around with a lot of my idols, which is pretty crazy. Not, uh, you know, not to brag, but I got to hang out with Tomato to Plenty with Joe Strummer. Um, and Tomato used to always say, cause I was a little scared of Hollywood when I first got there. Mike knows this. I'm from Palm Springs, Chuck. I'm from Palm Springs. We don't yeah. have a lot of junkies in Palm Springs. Don't have a lot of prostitution in Palm Springs, believe it or not. We don't have a lot of homeless in Palm Springs. There's not all the things that the city has. So, but we would be walking down Hollywood Boulevard like at eight in the morning or whatever, and there'd be like people laying on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, and I'd be kind of scared of them. And Tomato noticed it, and he said, Bobby, don't ever forget that's somebody's brother, that's somebody's father, that's somebody's son, and you should treat them with respect. 
because he was a teacher. Top Jimmy was a teacher. They people, Chuck, people used to teach like the class of tomato to plenty. The <laughs> class you're going to you're going to drug 101 with Top Jimmy. Then you're going to get a life lesson about homelessness from tomato to plenty at two o'clock. Make sure to be there. These people were teachers. <laughs> Lee Ving. Lee Ving was like a what encyclopedia of knowledge. Like just an encyclopedia. And he uh he one time said, uh, I got a car for sale. And I was, I guess he had heard that I needed a car or whatever. He said, I got a car for sale. And I was like, yeah, I don't have a lot of money. And he goes, car doesn't cost a lot of money. <laughs> I bought a, I bought for $450. I bought a car for, from leaving. But when he test drove it around Hollywood, I lived in Las Palmas and Hollywood Boulevard. Remember that, Mike? Yep. We drove it down Las Palmas to the Baptist church where Jeffrey took the famous gun club picture. Yeah. We turned right and went to Fortress and pulled in. Fortress was his rehearsal space. He pulled in, you know, said, so what do you think? And I said, well, yeah, it seems all right. He goes, it's all right. Puts it in reverse, drives me back to the parking lot behind the office building where I live and parks it. And I remember I had $200 and I gave him $200 and I owed leaving $250. Chuck, when you owe leaving from fear $250, you are planning on paying that $250. Uh, yeah, a young there's leaving, no, yeah. There's no party that goes, I could just ditch out on this. Yeah. So it's I get good. it from and then I'm all excited. I run upstairs. I tell Tomato I bought a car and I tell Anthony I bought a car. And so Let's go for a drive. And we go for a drive and we pull out onto Las Palmas. And I go to hit the brakes and there's no brakes. It just goes right to the floor. <laughs> okay. He sold me a car. He sold me a car with no master cylinder. It was no <laughs> brakes. And I, so then I crashed into the curb and like a pole behind Musso and Frank's. And I'm like, shit, shit, like fuck. Slowly but surely, though, little Bobby Forrest from Palm Swings learned how to drive a car in Hollywood with no brakes. You got to pump them, Chuck. You got to pump them. Yeah, yeah, you got to yeah. put brake fluid in. You got to put brake fluid in. You got to pump them. Get the air out. Pump them. And I you got to be like pumping that, yeah. them. You got to kind of be pumping them while you're driving. Because right, you never know case. when a light's going to change. Yeah. Right. And so this is in 83. I mean, Mike, in like 84, maybe even in 83, I met you. And then Mike has a, uh, ambulance that has no brakes. He's <laughs> pumping it. Everybody's got cars with no brakes <laughs> in Hollywood. <laughs> cars used to be so crummy, huh? I mean, you don't you don't see that many cars that are that crummy anymore. Where... I don't think there's a master cylinder in a car anymore, is there? Yes, there is. No, I don't think so. <laughs> I think it's a computer. I think my car, I was pulling out of bonds one day and I wasn't paying attention. I was like scolding Elvis or something and the car just stopped. Because somebody had walked slow across this. I wasn't looking, but I knew I could go. It's a green light. <laughs> Bob, how, how do you think new cars stop? How, how, what is your... What, what, I think there's a computer thing that just stops it. It no. stops. And then, this, <laughs> and then this thing comes on the dashboard. All Tell me this thing. Hydraulic brakes. I know, but I don't think there's brake fluid in them anymore. Because I yeah. haven't put brake fluid. <laughs> I haven't put brake fluid in a car in 20 years. I swear yeah. to God. Swear to God. Well, they make them closed systems because because they don't leak anymore. Yeah, they, you don't have to deal with any of that. That's what I'm saying. It's just like the last time I had a car that was like undependable, completely undependable. Well, was a Volkswagen having, Bug, think, but hey, wait a minute now. You're 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 talking shit about leaving right now. The car was very <laughs> dependable. It was dependable. It was a blue Lamont. And he's going to kick your ass now. Yeah. I've run into him recently, and he is a nice guy. He He was really good to bug. But how about how smart he was? I got to go on tour. Oh, my God. Mike, yes, Mike was on this tour. Chuck, for some reason, for about three years, Kevin Lyman had this idea to have a part of the Warp Tour called the Legends of Punk Area. I think I've talked about it before. And it was more like the area where young people don't go. Yeah, exactly. Nobody. <laughs> <laughs> so, and it was Fear, Thelonious Monster, Fishbone, UK Subs, Specimen. What was oh it? Is that God. it, Mike? Five bands? Uh, I don't know. I think Channel 3. <laughs> right? And we're Maybe. on tour. And They're still know, good. 
we just know day after day we're going to be playing for an empty parking lot. Like there's nobody going to come over to the Legends of Punk area. Because <laughs> they wanted to see what Fallout Boy or like Chemical <laughs> Yeah, like some some towns like Sacramento would be all right. Like there'd be 50 people watching, 100 people watching. Then you realize, I think of those bands, Specimen was the most popular. And we were offset from Specimen. Specimen played like at six and we played like at four. Right. What, you would so do, what was, was that? No, 80 what? No, this isn't this isn't like 90. When is this, Mike? 2004, 95. No. How was Specimen still existing? Oh, I don't know. Fuck. It's called the Legends of Punk. So anyways, Leaving was on and I got to hang out with him all the time. And we'd walk around Warp Tour and he'd just tell stories and just observe. And he was just one of the smartest guys I ever knew. And I didn't know that in 83. I was scared of him. But, you know, he was going to sell me this car and I, all I had to pay was 200 bucks. So I had, had no breaks. And what I'm, what I'm getting at is somehow, even with my naive kind of upper middle class background, I learned from the people around me from leaving. Like you can't go back. Hey, here's the thing you can't do with leaving when you buy a car and you give them $200. Go back and say, hey, this car doesn't have any brakes, Lee. This doesn't, I don't want to buy this car. Could you give me my money back? Yeah. No, you got to make it work because you can't go back to leaving and say, I, I don't want this car. Deal he'll deal, he'll smash your head in. Right. So <laughs> I, I learned how to drive with no brakes and I got pretty good at it. But but the brake fluid stuff, like I was shoplifting brake fluid, by the way. I hate to admit it. So I would put the brake fluid in and then sometimes I would stop at a light, put it in park and take the brake fluid thing off and pour more in just to make sure. You didn't bother chasing down the leak. You didn't know anybody that could look at that for you? Nah, we were living hour to hour then. We're just trying we're just trying to get to Eddie Munoz's house and back. That's it, really. We didn't have a lot of places. It was just me and Anthony living in this abandoned office building. And all we really needed to do, because we didn't do heroin. I, we'd never talk about that, Mike. We were kind of scared of heroin. I, uh, uh, my, maybe Mike wasn't, but I was. I was scared of it for what happened to Darby Crash. Uh, and, I wasn't. And just like I was scared of it. But I was very much embracing of, of shooting crystal methamphetamine. Do you ever heard of this drug, Chuck? Crystal oh, methamphetamine. Yeah. I gave it three now, teeth in seven years. That was a fucking great drug. Oh, my God. So yeah. we would shoot meth and just drive around the car with no brakes. And See, you know, let's, let's get to Bob working on cars, which Chuck kind of touched on. Bob had a truck that was really nice. And one time he decided to fix it and it never ran again. Yeah, it never. It was like, <laughs> it sat it. in his driveway. That's well, me. I, I like, get it. <laughs> well, it was, I don't know how I ended up with that. Like somehow I got some money somehow and I bought uh, a Ford pickup that had a V8 engine in it. And it, it had nice. a three on the tree, right? Yeah. Um, and I could drive three on a tree. And so, but it vibrated a lot so much that like, if you, you know, and I was single at the time, he had a date. It just like, you couldn't even talk. It was so loud. Yeah. <laughs> couldn't drink beer and drive. And, it, and, and everything, all, it all the metal up. was shaking and the doorknobs <laughs> would shake. And so I decided like, I got to adjust the carburetor to this thing. <laughs> I got to fix it. <laughs> I'm going to fix it so it doesn't make, so I can converse <laughs> with somebody that I might go to dinner with. Yeah. And so, so I know about the screwdriver and the, the, you know, I know a little bit about cars. So I start doing it. And somehow yeah, I, I just, <laughs> I just fucked that thing up. It never ran right. I ended up trading it. I ended up trading it to Mike uh, Semple for oh, helping yeah. paint my house. Yeah. Because it, it was, was actually a valuable truck. It was just, no, but it couldn't, it wouldn't go when, once I started working on it, Chuck, it just wouldn't, it would stall and it wouldn't go. And it rattled. So I just mm -hmm. bought, then I bought from Luis Garcia for like a thousand bucks. I bought his crashed uh, little black car, whatever that was. I've, I've never been good with cars. Never, never, never. <laughs> but I did have teachers. And what I'm talking about is, are there teachers in our modern culture? Does our culture even allow for teaching? Are the people that need tutoring open to wisdom? <laughs> These are all big questions for our society. And my answer is no, 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 and no. 
There are no teachers. No teachers dare open their mouth. They'll get their head bit off, right? Or they're, they're, or they're the selling internet. a brand on the internet. I was going to say, they're either the people that know some stuff, they're either preaching uh, a daily preach on their, and they're building a brand, right? Exactly, and that, Chuck. And, just, and you're also talking about Russell Brand. This is a good example. He's, our <laughs> He's the one that's teaching our kids, Russell Brand. Russell you Brand? Know. Yep. Oh, I, I was involved for two seconds with he wanted to have a free rehab. I was like, you ever sure. met these people? <laughs> like, I, don't know. I, don't know. I don't know that I would do it for free. I really some, I love sometimes addicts, he's so on if, point. He's great. Sometimes he's so on point. But just yeah. like any human, you know, like Lee had his space and Tomato had his free, space. Does he still have a free rehab? I have no idea, but I sometimes he says some things that get me to think, they get me to reevaluate. And I, to me, that's that's a big deal because I don't I don't yeah, often I mean, reevaluate. You're talking like new agey advice. No, no, I'm talking it, about it, teachers that tell it, you respect everyone. That's what Tomato said. Respect everyone. And that's not something my parents taught me. My parents taught me, you know, people of money, property, and prestige you respect. All the rest you don't. Tomato straightened me out in a matter of weeks. Just like, no, you respect, respect everyone. He saw that I walked around homeless people and I didn't like it. He taught me, right? That, right. That's different than some new agey bullshit on the internet. I know Russell Brand. I, 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 under, I, I, I understand. And that's what we're saying is those people are yeah. now on the internet. That's and what, yeah. It, because that's that's the way they communicate. Who knows what Tomato would have done had he stuck around? We, oh, he we would have been on the internet. He would have definitely been on the internet. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> even walks around and hangs around. All they do is they go to school and they come home and they get on the internet. You know, right? I see that. So, anyways, Top Jimmy taught me very powerful tools. Never gives a a, a go a middleman money without knowing where they're going. I learned that lesson from Top Jimmy. Early, early, <laughs> early on. I think you everybody never, gets to learn you, that one. I want everyone at home to hear me, yeah. <laughs> especially the using addicts. Yes. Never give your money to somebody that's going to get you drugs and bring <laughs> them back. Yeah. Always go with them. <laughs> or at best, go with them and wait outside and give them the money and they're just walking into a building. But never stay home. Always go with them. Is that good advice? Was that is that's that, pretty it, good advice? I got some advice. Don't ever just don't ever buy drugs off the internet. Just go and do it like you know, man up and go out and get some dope on the street. <laughs> I don't think I you did. can buy drugs off people anymore. I don't think you can. I mean, I I don't know. I haven't done I it in a long time, can. but it seems like seems like these kids. I think they're even getting it sent to their houses. Yeah, I think it gets sent to their house, Mike. You got to be able to go and buy dope off the street. Still, I don't yeah. think. Uh, no, I don't think all, so. You know, it's like, I don't yeah. think. I don't know. I don't know where they're doing well, the, it. The we last can, somebody write yeah. us in and tell. Can you just go score dope in a, at a spot? Meet your dealer somewhere, like I did. The Hollywood Definitely High School the, deaths. They picked it up in a park. Yeah. Really. I yeah. well, I know well the spots I were MacArthur Park is gentrified. They're going to have concerts in the park this summer. I just found no out from way. my son Elijah. Yeah, they're going to have bands playing at the MacArthur Park Dome. You know that thing that looks like a miniature Hollywood Bowl. They're just going to have free concerts in the park. Can you imagine that in 1994? Like, no. I, I, like no way. Huh. So they're so MacArthur Park's all gentrified and fixed up. Like there's apartments. On Sixth Street, where you know where where Bonnie Bray and, and Burlington and all the yeah, drugs yeah, used to be, yeah. there are apartments there that cost fifty six hundred dollars a month for one bedrooms. That is insane <laughs> to me. There were some you know, down and out meetings down in that area too, man. Right, right, uh, and El Grupo's too. Yeah. I told you that friend of mine. He was so ashamed of something he did. I always suspected it was like gay sex or something. I, you know, I'm not ashamed of my gay sexual acts, but some people are. And he was just obsessed. Like I wasn't a sponsor, but he would always talk to me about how his sponsor didn't understand or whatever. And he came up with this idea because he was convinced that he wasn't staying sober because he wasn't working the steps. So then he did a four step 
but he didn't want to read it to his friend and uh, his sponsor. And I said, well, are you asking me to read it to me? And he said, no, no, no. I'm just asking you what I should do. Do you think it's okay if I just go to the desert and read it out loud to the universe? And I said, no, nah, I think you need another person. Yeah. I mean, because it, it's a whole, you know what I mean? Like, That's part uh, of the, yeah, yeah. Cactus doesn't count. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so then I don't, don't have see him. He ended up turning into a really good chef, actually. So then I don't see him. And then I said, whatever happened with the, with the reading the thing? And, and I told him one time, like, whatever you're ashamed of, I promise you I've done. I, I promise you, whatever. Because I suspected it was like, you know, some stuff, you know, whatever people are ashamed of. And he said, no, no, no. So he said, yeah, I read it. I went to El Grupo on a temple in Alvarado and I read, read it to some guy. Uh, and you know. and I said, what What do you mean? And he goes, no, I just went in there. And then I, I asked somebody that was there if I, I said I needed to read my fourth step to somebody and they gave me a guy. And, uh, and he's no, but wait. So I threw the monkey wrench in there. I go, how do you know he didn't speak English? How do you, know? <laughs> you should have seen the look on this guy's face. I love fuck. I love fucking shit up. I really do. <laughs> so, so, but so, no, no. MacArthur Park, nowhere around there. Olympic, where you used to buy coke. Nothing there. Nothing around there. Downtown LA, where you used to be able to buy dope, is like the Ace Hotel, and like I, I just don't think you can buy drugs on the street. I don't know. I really don't know, but I know the friends of mine, the friends of mine that are using, get it delivered off somebody they meet on the internet for sure. Hal, Hal was doing that. People delivering shit to his house, like almost like a pizza delivery guy. Hello, is, is Mr. Goldberg, you know, (laughs) Marty Goldberg home? (laughs) And I was like, oh yeah, well I'm his drug counselor. And the guy like, oh, well that doesn't seem to matter to me. I have a delivery for Mr. Marty Goldberg. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, what the fuck is going on here? Leave it to Marty. (laughs) They just deliver to your house like they have the right to, like they have no shame about it. Yeah. Right? So, and that's, you know, that's real drugs. That's not pot. Anyways, so, (laughs) I, you know, getting back to, I think we're the only place that really talks about what's going on in the addict community and mental health in a real way. And like you said, these these gurus of recovery, I listened to, I, somebody kept bugging me to listen to their podcast and I listened to it for like 10 minutes and it was just all like holier than thou pontificating intelligent stuff. And I was just like, yeah. don't people know that people are turned off to stuff like that? Like, you know what I mean? There, uh, you know, and I don't, I know that it's good to talk about recovery in any situation right some friends of mine have a radio show in in um in philadelphia and it it is kind of dry and it's kind of you know a by the book but it it's getting out there and you know thousands of people listen to it and whatever but this podcast was just like portraying the person portraying themselves as some expert and know-it-all and never does anything wrong it's just such a turnoff and i and i just thought you know talk about what's really going on kids are dying Right. Kids are <laughs> fucking dying, dude. You're talking about yourself and blah 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 and da da da. And, you know, and like everything's always going to work out. Here's the thing: I don't. I don't. There's a Bob Dylan line that says they keep telling they keep telling me everything's going to be all right. I don't even know what all right even means. Yeah, what does it mean? It's all going to work out. It's going to be. I don't know if that's worked out. You know what I mean? My life right. has been been constant learning from mistakes and fuck-ups the whole time loaded and sober this idea that all of a sudden you become sober and you just get the keys to wisdom and figure everything out and you don't get divorced and you don't know how to raise your kid and all this it's just so it's such bullshit the way sober (laughs) people it really is because because a it's not truthful right it's not (laughs) truthful we're all trying to do the best we can. Bob Timmons used to say, at the end of the day, all you get to do is be human. Right. And present yeah, yeah. in your life. Right. And you're not some angel that's figured everything out, right? And no, I think know, that's I, what makes I think that's what makes a home group a home group if they're honest, because you see people going through life 
if you they're know, honest, if yeah, they're honest. Right. But that's, but there's that's so the, many people portraying themselves as, so I love to tell this story. One of my favorite guys I got sober with, he's still, I just love him. He's just such a knucklehead, but he got off onto like, he's the guru of Silver Lake and all this kind of stuff. And I would like try to take a piss on Adam and then like, you know, you know, say things at meetings, like, you know, everybody thinks so-and-so like got a wire, like maybe he wanted to get a job, maybe, maybe get a job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so one of those types of guys. So this is like 25 years ago. And he comes over to my house one day and he just walks in really, I thought he had broken up with his wife or something. He was really distraught. And I had the sliding, the screen door open. He just walked right in and he goes, I need to talk to you about something. And I was like, you know, those things where it's just so intense and so un unnatural and surprising. Like this guy hadn't been to my house in like six months. He just walks in and goes, I need to talk to you about something. Yeah, I was something thinking, was urgent, yeah. yeah, something urgent, right? And he takes his shoes and socks off and he goes, and he, he showed me his feet and they were all covered in blisters. Uh, and I go, what's going on? And he goes, Oof. I don't know. I don't know. I went to a doctor and they said it's from stress. And I was like, do you have it elsewhere? And he's, and he lift up his shirt. He had it all over his stomach too. Like these boil, like blisters. And like hot, like, uh, like hives. Yeah. Like um, hives. And I was like, dude, what the fuck is, yeah. And the, so it's nothing serious. And they said, no, it doesn't sound serious. They gave me, uh, steroids. And we sat there. And oh, you must have had shingles or something. Yeah, but we talked for three hours, and I said, "Dude, I think you've gotten off track. Like, you're just like <laughs> you're not you're not responsible. You're not responsible for other people's sobriety. If you say something <laughs> wrong, it's not going to make people use." I learned this from Buddy Arnold like fucking ten years ago. Yeah. Like, you know, because I told that story. Like, I had, you know, I. I came out of the box. I should have been the leader of AA by, by the way I was going out of the box, right? <laughs> you know, I, uh, so I get the first person I try to help get sober and everybody's like, oh, that guy could never get sober. I was like, well, he can when he listens to me. Then the second guy I try to help get sober and they're like that. I remember somebody saying, you have raised Lazarus. And I didn't know who Lazarus, <laughs> I didn't know who Lazarus was. But I knew it was biblical, and I was like, fuck yeah, bitches, that's what I do. I'm Bobby Forrest. I raised the dead. <laughs> so I'm two for two, right? Right. What happens, Chuck? Third guy dies. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. You failed. And I fucking sitting in my office, I was crying. I was more, I was more crying for myself than for him. <laughs> like, like, no, I'm now I'm two for three. This is fucked. Buddy Arnold say uh, two out of three ain't bad. Buddy Arnold, yeah, two <laughs> out of three ain't bad. Amigo. Buddy Arnold walked in my office. I remember it was like eight o'clock at night. It was late. And no one, just me and him and his wife there. And he walked in and he shut the door, which always meant not good for me. And um, the time that he told me he wished he could strangle me was when he shut the door. So he shuts the door and he sits down on the couch in my office and he goes, I'm just going to tell you one time. And I said, what? And he goes, if you take credit for the victories, you have to take responsibility for the losses. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I can't, I, he goes, and there's a lot more losses than there are victories. Yeah. And I was like, no, no, no. So I learned it right off the bat when I had like three years. Like, you can't take credit for other people's successes. You just, we just do what we do and whatever happens. But this friend of mine was like believing all the thing and people at the meetings say, it's like so-and-so says. You know, one thing I'll tell you, maybe it's the tip of my shoulder. I'm sure that no one has ever said in an AA meeting, it's like Bob Forrest says. <laughs> you know, though, you know, Bob, you were just, you were just saying, where have the teachers gone? And we've spent a lot of time. You, you said, you have said things that resonate with me that I repeat. Like, but you don't say Bob Forrest said it because that would. I, I say, it. I say, I say, <laughs> my buddy Bob told me. Yes, I do. I go, my buddy Bob. I don't say Bob Forrest. So I say, my buddy Bob told me if you if you read the good reviews, you got to read the bad reviews, which is very similar to what that yeah, is. There. The so thing, yes, there are sure, so we got to kind of. Here's the thing: forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
that's something that's always resonated with me. Even when I was a kid in Catholic school, I like that concept. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. I think a lot of people think the steps make you not trespass against people. So you don't oh. have to forgive trespasses against you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like That's you somehow get, you That's somehow elevate yeah. into yeah. the non trespassing world of, you know what I mean? Right. And, well, there is and, a whole part of AA that's just Judean Christianity, all in a nutshell. You know, confession. Yeah, I don't, I don't think of stuff. that as like religion. I just think of it; it's a good idea. And then like, you go try and try to be and spread the word. You know, but everybody forgets Martin Luther King was a Baptist minister. Everybody quotes the shit out of him. There's nothing wrong with religion; it's how it's misused, and when it's used right, which is this beautiful sentiment, like. Be forgiving of other people as you would like to be forgiven. Yeah, I agree. And I think that people think that they get to some place where they don't need forgiveness anymore, so they don't need to forgive. That's all I'm saying. Mm. I, in a certain, because it it is hard. Like if you're a dumbass high school dropout, like most of us, and you were on drugs for most of your young adult life, and then you get sober and you get a life and you get a job and get married and whatever, and your life goes along as most Americans' lives do, somehow you can start to believe that it's you manifesting this and it's you and the work and all that. And I work the steps and all this shit. I never have thought that way. Like, this is all just a complete mystery to me. Like, it's a complete mystery to me. Have I worked the steps? Yeah, a couple times. I don't I didn't get any great fucking insight from it. I get more insight from... Buddy Arnold from Tomato to Plenty, from Leaving, from from you guys, from Anthony. I get more insight just talking with people than I got from working the steps. And I know people don't like hearing that, but that is my that is my truth. That is my safe space. <laughs> <laughs> but that, but that's also that's also the beauty, like the the fellowship that we choose as opposed to the people that are in a meeting. Right. Because if I go to a meeting at any any building, there may be some people that I like there. But the fellowship that we choose and the people we spend time with are always teaching. We're always learning. Yeah. But knowing that other people are having trouble with their adult kids, it just reassures me like I'm not the Absolutely. only one uh, knowing that that, you know, you feel thrown away. I like a lot of my friends feel thrown away. They get into their fifties and sixties and they feel like, yeah, I'm fucking lost. I don't know what I'm doing anymore. Like, yeah, I feel that way all the time. I feel, I feel like a fraud in that way all the time. I think it's okay to feel that way. Right. Well, it's a little harder for you because you're just having kids all the time though. Still. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. let's be honest. Like, <laughs> so I had my first kid when I was 27. I was probably supposed to die that year, right, Chuck? I mean, that's yeah, not... Well, yeah. Then well, that would have... Well, you know, and somebody pointed out, you know, you always say this thing that you were supposed to die when you're 27. Weren't you supposed to be super successful at music and then <laughs> die at 27? And then die, yeah. <laughs> no, because it could have been, uh, I just, you know, I posthumous thing. Part. No, because... Uh, no. If because I would have died at 27, maybe Thelonious Monster would have become R.E.M. or something. Legend. Right, would, right, would have right. become huge. Oh, and, and it would have been like. You know what we can call that? The Nick Drake syndrome. Because Nick Drake was fucking nothing when he was alive. Yeah. Fucking nothing. The greatest career movie ever made was dying. Oh. Wow. Adorable <laughs> <laughs> wow. to say, but it happened. <laughs> and you know why? It's because somebody probably owned his publishing and somebody was managing that whole uh, legend. No, I love, I love Nick Drake. I, I think he had mental illness and people misinterpreted it for artistic integrity. Um, uh, it was a guy named uh, Joe Boyd. I actually know the guy. So he produced all three records and he loved him. And he just thought he's a fucking genius that no one has ever heard of. And then, you know, his best friend, this guy dies, sadly. I don't even know how he died. How did Nick Drake die? I don't know. Good question. Can you look it up? I don't even know how he died, but I know, I know he died. And then they released a three album box set vinyl that i bought in like 1981 or something he died of an overdose from a prescribed antidepressant he was 26 yeah. ah missed it by one year look at that That's but awesome. it's true that that i had my first kid when i was 27 i was just a mess just a 
it couldn't have gotten messier. It did get messier, but you know, it was like, I was, I was just a lost soul. Right. And I tried to do my best once I got sober. I think we've done good. I talked to Elijah last night. It was an hour and four. How many times you talk to your son for an hour and 40 minutes and feel like that was a great conversation. I've been waiting for that my whole life with him. Yeah. Like we had a great conversation mm. about LA and about life and about moving out of state and, you I know, mean, you took him to pay. Didn't you take him to the 99 cent store for Christmas? That one. Well, come <laughs> on now. You know what? He said that doesn't bother him, Mike. Uh, and he, he has yeah, a real problem said, with it. <laughs> which means said, something he because said, he, he said, remembers he said, it distinctly. <laughs> um, wait a second. No. This is so weird. He overdosed. He took 50 Elevil. Oh, Nick Drake. Nick what Drake. is that? What's Elevil? Elevil amitriptyline. It's an antidepressant. So you can, oh, that destroys Elleville. your liver, right? It destroys your liver. Uh, he was committing suicide. Yeah, they, they, it was ruled a suicide because he took 50 of them. Yeah, he got them. Yeah, you know, you know Chuck, I, you know, I'm kind of an expert in this area. You don't take 50 pills accidentally. No. Oh, yeah. No, no I know. <laughs> That's a whole bottle. <laughs> right down the old gullet. You can take four accidentally. Yeah, three is three is most common. But I, I, I just I just know Elleville used to be around a lot more. It's not around a lot now. How I think people do Zoloft I, instead. How weird am I about medicine? So sometimes you know, because I got I'm active wife and I got little kids and you got to carry them. They're so fucking heavy, little kids. They really are <laughs> heavy. So I and then my back hurts like crazy. So I use that nighttime Aleve. Believe for nighttime, I think, whatever it is. It's like a little blue pill sometimes when my back is killing me, right? And mm -hmm. so, and I, the, the, I always buy the cheapest bottle. It's like $7.99 for 12 of them, right? And they're take two, right? So I always take one because I'm, you know, I just need a little inflammation help. So I really had a bad time where I couldn't move my leg. And this was like five, six, seven years ago. And I just was dying. Like I thought I, I couldn't walk. I don't know if I, I knew you, Chuck, but I really was in bad shape. It was when I was working in Temecula and the drive out there and the bumper to bumper traffic for two hours to get there. And I couldn't move my leg and I was doing uh, uh, stem cells to try to relieve it and it wasn't working. So I started taking two because it says take two. Then somehow, as I, you know, got more mature, I started buying the bigger bottle. <laughs> it looked a little different, but, you know, I don't need to. I'm just taking the same thing. So then I'm taking two. And one day I'm in the kitchen and the lights were on and I'm looking at it and it says, take one. And I was like, holy shit, I'm going to die of liver damage from taking two for like a year, like six months. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I doubt that. But it does. It does. If you take 50 aspirin, you could die. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, yeah, well, it, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of things you Tylenol will, will overdose you. Yeah. 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 So, so you got to be sensitive, but I, I think he killed himself. Anyways, I, I, I had Elijah when I was 27. I tried to do the best I can. I did good for like two years. I think like, you know, I saw him on a regular basis. Mike knows he was at gigs. He yeah. was, you know, and then I just, you know, I spiraled into nowhere and whatever. And then I pop back up and he would visit me at rehab. And then finally I get sober 96. He moves in with me. So, so you're talking about 96. I'm 35 right then he by the, and he's 10 by the time he's 15 he's like you know on his way like he basically has been living on his own since you're like 17 i think some like your kids are like that right chuck they're just they're just out and about <laughs> yep they do they, right? they get to doing their own thing mike's <laughs> got mike's got a day. couple there yeah but so he's out and about and gone so it really was i was only a parent from 1996 to like 2001 and then, I, and then, you know, Elvis doesn't come along until 2010. That's 19 years later. So, I, you know, I was a parent only, I would say, for five years, really going, driving to school and doing everything I could to, like, be a good dad or whatever. And I liked it. But then he turned 15 and told me, you know, fuck you. I don't have to listen to you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I remember that day. I wonder where he got that. <laughs> 
No, well, actually, actually, we had this agreement. He always disagrees. And I, it's just so, it's such a great journey with your kids over life. <laughs> life. So here's how it was. Mr. Hastings, his eighth grade teacher, was my friend. He liked Thelonious Monster. And he would call me on my, my original little Nikia phone that didn't even open. It was just like a tiny little phone, right? And you had to pay, you had to pay per minute, right? Remember that? You had to buy minutes yeah. on their phone. Yeah, pull the antenna up too. Yeah, and he would yeah, pull the antenna. And he called me and tell me what was going on. And so he was not doing good in school. And I said, listen, and he's so smart. So we me and Hastings, the the teacher said, listen, you got to do this and this and this and this in order to get a C. If you don't get a C, you got to go to summer school. Elijah agreed to it. He didn't get a C, summer school. So this is where it comes. He then says, well, I don't want to go to summer school. I said, I didn't make the decision you're going to summer school. You did. Right? <laughs> How hard is it? And I used to just, I just, you know, I still rail against LA Unified. I said, How hard is it to get a C in eighth grade in LA Unified School District? How fucking hard is it? It's harder to like, you know, jumpstart a car than it is to do that. Right. And he didn't do it because he, uh, you know, he, he didn't like education. He got picked on a lot. I, I will admit that. So, he doesn't do it. I'm like signed up. I'm going to be a good dad. We're going to do summer school. And then we'll start talking about it. It's only six weeks summer school. You got two and a half months off. For, you still get a month of summer and you only go like three hours a day. Right? Summer right. school. So he's saying, I'm not, I'm not going to summer school. I go, the fuck you aren't. You're not living here and unless you go to summer school. And he goes, well, I'll just move in with my mom. I said, don't be like that. That's a, that would be the biggest mistake you ever made. It's you and me, dude. Fucking come on. And he did it and he moved to his mom's house just to get out of going to summer school for three hours a day, five days a week for six weeks. Right. And so from then on, I just was on my own. I was like doing nothing. Like that's why I moved to Joshua Tree. Like moved to Joshua Tree. You know, I don't know what I thought was going to happen out there. <laughs> same, <laughs> shit, same shit that happened in LA. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> And so then when I, when I finally got well, I would say I got gained insight, not well, but when I gained insight was probably like, I don't know, like 2003, 2004, you know, I can measure my, my, my maturity or my growing up, like say going from 17 to 20 in, in like how I got along with everybody. All of a sudden I just wasn't arguing as much and whatever. So 2004 i'm thinking what am i gonna do with my life right i hated mm -hmm. i hated um uh, my job i was working at uh prc and and then luckily dr drew came along and then that filled a whole nother nine years of my life right <laughs> you know that that's a weird thing though but <laughs> he just did he fall into where you were and you guys were already friends from love no, line? Is that how it deal? happened was I had a friend. Uh, I don't, I, I had a friend named Dave Jordan. Mike knows him. Yep. He was a great guy. Great. I great producer. Greatest guy. And he was in rehab at Los Encinas. And I had brought this gal. I was the court liaison for Pasadena recovery center. This is 2003. And it was, I remember it was Christmas Eve, day or the 23rd of December on in 2003. And I go to take this woman. She was the upper middle-class woman who had gotten her third DUI or something. And she had left PRC and was AMA for like three days. And then we had to bring her back to court and judge DeShazer, who I knew, you know, I had brought in all the paperwork and the counselors, you know, nobody wants somebody to go to jail, especially at Christmas. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking it's going to be all right. And she's scared. And I'm saying, no, it's going to be all right. Like I know the shades are, it's going to be all right. And she's got good letters and she's back engaged in the program. You know, the deal, Chuck, mm -hmm. we go there and the says to me, Robert, could I speak to you in chambers? And I was like, uh, no, thank you. <laughs> no, no, thank you. Because okay. the client, had already done this one time before. And I knew, and she knew, like, I'm in trouble. She's going to take me into custody. And I thought, if I go behind closed doors, 
um, with the judge, like I'm, I'm just the worst person in the world. Right. So I said, can my client come with me? And she said, sure. And we went in and she said, I want you to tell me the truth. Da, 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 da. And I said, well, you know, I can't lie. So yeah, but I mean, uh, you know, um, you know, I don't think taking her into custody is, I knew this judge pretty well. I said, I don't think taking her into custody is at Christmas. Yeah. At yeah. Christmas. And she said, that's why you're not a judge, Robert. Okay, let's go back in the courtroom. <laughs> and she took her into custody. Like at nine o'clock and nine thirty in the morning. Wow. Mm. And I was like, I was like, I'm so sorry. But I was thought on my feet, because imagine what a shitty reputation I'd have. Like go in a room with a judge by myself, and then that person gets taken into custody. So I was smart about that. So I'm driving and I don't want to go back to PRC because then I'll have to work. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And I'm not due back there till like afternoon, right? So I swing by Los Encinas to visit Dave. And that's when I saw Dr. June. He goes, hey, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, my friend's in here. And he goes, do you have your certification? And I said, yes, of course I have my certification. And he <laughs> said, go up to the front and fill out an application. There's, it's the evening outpatient person has left. And I was like, ah, you know, right away you're ah, taking I'm away my right up. Yeah, yeah. No, right away you're <laughs> taking away my evenings, and I'm a single guy in Hollywood, AM, baby. <laughs> I don't know that that evening. I don't like the sound of that evening stuff. <laughs> but I but I did it. And that that just that's what I learned so much. It's like immeasurable what I learned, not just from Drew, but from Dr. Blum, who was his partner, from Dr. Harasti, Dr. Suzuki, Dr. Pilko, the nurses. Like you just you work in a hospital, you fucking learn about addiction and mental health. There's no mm -hmm. way yeah. you don't. It's impossible not to unless you're just brain dead. Right? Yeah. I remember the first time and you were immersed in that in yeah in, i loved so. it i just loved it so they kept talking about borderline personality and i read about it and, and i you know i didn't really understand it and then but they drew and barry would talk about borderline personality and splitting and borderline and splitting and borderline and so and i would ask dr blum who was there way more often than dr drew by the way and dr blum taught residency at usc and I, and he was kind of gruff and he didn't like me really in particular, but I really wanted to learn. And I said, so, and so this woman, I'll never forget it. She, she ended up being a friend of mine over, over the long haul, but she was just like a fucking hurricane tornado. And she was very wealthy and she just, just yelled at everyone and treated everyone like her servant and just like really something else. And, uh, she's, she, we're in a one-on-one -on -one with her, the nurse, me, and Dr. Blum. And Dr. Blum notoriously doesn't suffer fools gladly. And you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, so he stirs, he poke, you know, he stirs her up or whatever. And she goes off and calls him, you fucking fat fuck, fuck you, you Dr. Drew ass kissing, like, whoa, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> like mind-boggling shit coming out of her mouth. And this is like in a sophisticated, educated, wealthy woman. And he's just like, what the fuck? And he goes, okay, we're done, Bob. And he, I get her out and I go, I go, what are you doing? And she goes, Bobby, you know, just, he's an asshole. And, da, da, da. and I'm like, oh my God. And so I go and sit in the chair she was sitting in. And then the nurse leaves and shuts the door. And Dr. Blum, I go, I go, what was that about? And he goes, that is borderline personality disorder. Ah. Uh, and I got it. And I said, but who would put up with that? And he talked to Blum. He's like, he's a like old school guy. He goes, they don't always look like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. You know, she's an older woman. Right. Like, and right. he goes, he goes, go home and think about that. And I really did. And I thought, oh, my God, I've been married to borderlines. I, I am a borderline. My mom's a borderline. I just started seeing it everywhere, which is not true. We all have borderline features. But you can really see this thing, this chaos. So fast forward mm -hmm. 20 years, I see it in our society. I think our society has borderline personality disorder. I think America is a borderline. 
Yep. Do you follow me, Chuck? You see the certainly a lot. I see it a lot, which is sad because it's not something you can fix real easily. I'll give you an example. I have it. You know, we live here in the creek, so you know because of the. I guess the the reservoir was going to burst, and they had to dump a million tons of water, and it came crashing down our canyon, and it and it was really almost washed out the road. It was fucking crazy. And we're all calling the flood districts of Los Angeles. Like there was like a wall of water came down the road, the dirt road down here. I mean, the Creek was full and then it was going up into the road and whatever. Wow. This nice lady up the street. We finally get the flood control guys come out. Nicest guy, like 28 years old, very, very polite and whatever. And she's just like, you fucking people. (laughs) She used to be an elementary school teacher, you know, like. Just right off the bat, this poor guy, he didn't do it. He didn't turn the fucking floodgates on. And she's mm-hmm. like, you fucking people. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> but it's that anger, that quick to anger, that quick to accusations, that misinformation and chaos and frustration and 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 affronting and emotionally violent. That's what borderline personality disorder is, causing chaos. Mm-hmm. And that's what our that's what our society is. It's so weird that you touched on that because I was thinking that you know it's such a norm now to just be angry and and even violent uh, the insurgents the whole you know Marjorie Taylor Greene the fighting Well not even that. How about just being rude to people? Okay, yeah, that's been given the green light. And that in uh years before would have been mental illness and they would have thrown you in jail. Yeah. Just like, but just like, yeah, no, it somehow, well, Chuck, doesn't it somehow just spread? Like if, if that person acts that way, then that puts the parameter out of how you can act. Like 100, how 100%. How come nobody has self-control? Like this poor guy, the poor guy, like I wasn't happy. My fucking house, my, my yard was flooded. But I was yeah. it wasn't his fault. The guy's fucking he has nothing to do with it. He just works for the flood control just control district. But 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 borderline but BPD people don't it doesn't matter. The the logist logical has nothing to do with it. And it's just the need to further and create more chaos and to mix things up and it it it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. It, there's a lot of with with women, with the female clients, there's a lot of uh, sexual acting out. Um, with the, with the male clients, it comes across as more of a narcissistic thing where it doesn't matter. I mean, I know I'm better. You people are bad, and that is we do see that across the board. You know, a lot how many times? More. How about this? I don't think I ever like. I was one of the worst patients who ever lived. I was banned from Exodus Rehab. Banned from it. That's hard to do, don't you think? You can be banned from a rehab. When I went yeah. to Hazelden the third time, they caught on that it was me and they said, Oh no, 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 no. You 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 need to go to our St. Paul facility. Mm-hmm. Like rehabs didn't want me. That's how bad of a client I was or whatever. I would never say the things that people say to me. Never, never personal attacks at somebody. So the main one I get is all you care about is fucking money and celebrities. Right. Like if you know anything about me, that's not true. I'm not wealthy. I'm not wealthy. I could have made $20 million off of selling pee. You fucking dumbass. I didn't do that. (laughs) You know what I mean? And I didn't do it because I, I just have a belief that, and I said this to, Robert Rose, the great director of of ADP back in the day, I said, don't we have a policy and procedure that says we have a safe and contained drug-free environment? Why would we have to test everybody every day? Our policy and procedure, our agreement with the state of California is that we provide a safe and contained drug-free environment. So if we test everyone in the facility Every day, aren't we admitting we're not living up to our responsibility to the state? And he goes, yeah, one would think. And I it's for fucking sure. For fucking sure. <laughs> These fucking scumbags 
that made tens of millions of dollars off P don't even know what, why, why rehab exists. They don't even know what it is. They nor just did they care that they, that they nearly destroyed it either. I mean, that's one of those huge things in that, that body brokers. I heard a couple of clients talking about, I don't know why we can't go on more field trips. You saw body brokers, man, that movie, you know how much they make for each test. <laughs> you know, it's like, and it's just like, oh man. So people get a little bit of information and they run with it. But there were a shit ton of people that ran through the industry. They took its soul with them, and they didn't care. They don't care what kind of shit they leave in their wake, right? And and we're we're left to clean it up. But when, and, but what's interesting is, and I know one very much in particular, a Malibu guy. He bought a huge yacht. He takes all the AA people out on this huge yacht that he made from the P gold mine. And they all kiss his ass. And every time I see him, I'm like, how do you live with yourself? You fucking ruined everything for everybody. Now we've got to chart up the ass and we get accused of fraud. He's like the guy that invented auto-tune. He just, he ruined it for everybody else, <laughs> you know? <laughs> the, it's, that's so shitty, you know? And it, you're right. Like if, 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 but it was a conscious decision because he had been doing rehab long before the gold, the P gold mine. He made a moral decision. Like I deserve this money. Right. Right. I deserve it. I've worked hard. I've dedicated my life to helping people. I could have done the same thing. I didn't do that. I was like, that, it just doesn't make sense that you're going to make $5,000 a drug test. It doesn't maybe make any makes, sense. Maybe it makes sense on a boat. I don't know. Well, I'll never know that. Right. I mean, I, you know, somebody asked me if I, I swear to God, I don't, here's the thing about me. I don't like eating and I don't like vacations. So the things that all people want to have wealth, like go out to fancy dinners. I don't like food and I don't like restaurants and I don't like somebody offered me, Hey, you want to come or this wealthy friend of mine had a boat in the, in the, in the Mediterranean. So do you want to come out on the boat? And I was like, not really. Like the guy who sold $20 million worth of piss, his whole life is based around impressing people by being on a, on that boat. Mm -hmm. I think, what do I care about being known for? I think being a, being a good guy, I think like matters to me, like being a stand up guy. I know that sounds corny and high schoolish, but like that, that what I say I do and what I do, I say that matters to me. No, there's and, a, there's a purity to that, and but I'm not bragging. I'm just saying that's what matters no. to me, and what matters to this guy is a boat and everybody kissing his ass. I don't understand it. You know what I mean? And he closed his rehab and blamed the insurance industry, and he's off and you know whatever. It's like, right. You know, but but you know the same things that um the same things that you find that you respect about other people. Those are the things that I want to be. Like, you know, you said it, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I do what I say I'm going to do. I, I try to be helpful whenever I possibly can be. I, I want to be a good dad. I want to be a good husband. I want to, I want, those are the things that, those are the kind of people I'm attracted to, not the people with the biggest houses or the, nah, the newest. But the world country. is attracted to the boats more and more. I see it from when I wake I open my eyes and the insurance industry thinks I'm a fraudster because I work in the recovery industry. That's because of him and a fucking hundred other motherfuckers like him. But also a huge social shift that you were talking about where like if the original, if the first wave of punk rock happened today, it wouldn't even make a ripple because I was talking about that. Like music is a whole nother category. I know. How, but, about, but, a, what, how about a world uh, where Bono, I know. Okay. But th this happened. The Chris Rock special was on. Did you guys watch it? Yeah. He kind of he kind of he kind of flubbed the the Will Smith thing by saying unconscious and, and yeah, yeah yeah but I um but the intro because I watch I somebody told me it's on I was like fuck I thought it was on at seven o'clock and like it was, it was on at seven o'clock East Coast I don't know what I just had it off wrong so I came in like at the thirty minute point and I'm watching it and then I watched it to the end and then I rewound it and watched the beginning. And that's like Bono. And I had this thing of like, does anybody watching this know who Bono is anymore? 
I swear to God, and I'm not, I'm not pissing on you too. I love you too. And I love Bono and whatever, but it's become in the last five or six years, our culture is so, I don't divided. know. It's so, it's diff- so no, divided it's different. It's different. You know, I never thought I would live in a world where I would think like, is Bono relevant to young people or to the culture at large? Like, you know, and it's it's not about him. It's about many of the people that you just thought were iconic. Bruce Springsteen, like, is Bruce Springsteen really Bruce Springsteen anymore? Is there such a thing as Bruce Springsteen? You know, to me and Mike and to you or to Mike Ness or what Bruce Springsteen is like, he's the guy that does shit right. He's the guy that is an excellent songwriter, treats everyone around him good, and is one of the biggest, most successful musicians who ever lived. Like, that's a role model. That's a guy. And now I don't think he even, I don't think it matters. It's a weird culture we're in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and true artistry has fallen away and does not matter. I mean, that's a frightening culture, don't you think? Yeah, I, I think I, I I just keep hoping it's a house of cards, and that it, that's it, what I think too, Chuck. I, I think well, I think it's all going to fall away because hopefully, but I, you know, there's this thing that writes songs. Did you know that artificial intelligence? Oh. They're they're pretty good, actually. <laughs> oh my god! Oh no! Oh boy! I swear <laughs> to God, so don't underappreciate this. So they have a thing. I swear Next to God. Show. Where you can pick a band, and then and then t- I I don't know exactly what it is, but somebody sent it to me, and it's a Chili Pepper song written with artificial intelligence. It's actually pretty good. <laughs> well, I love the sound of the Chili Peppers, but it was just so funny. Um, anyways. 150,000 people lost. We got to do something. We got to get the message out. Start talking about it. Don't be ashamed. People got to stop being ashamed of being depressed or suicidal. They got to talk to people. They got to stop being uh, ashamed of their kids dying of drugs. They got to stop. Yeah. Be a street street level teacher. I think that's street level teaching. No preaching from mountaintops. Yeah. Pass it on, man. Yeah. All right. See you later, you guys. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Hey.